Besides the coin this week, uh, you know, let's just say Kiss, Brian Wilson, Charlie Manson, Paul McCartney. What has it all got to do with this podcast? You got to listen to find out because it's some freaking amazing backstory and how it's all connected. And the author, David Lee. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things Kiss. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. No Lisa this week, but she held the fort down last week while I was dealing with a sick kid. Um, Boy, you know, we got a little bit of housekeeping we got to deal with here. But trust me when I say this, our guest and interview this week is absolutely fantastic. I'm just going to give you three names of what we talk about. Kiss, Brian Wilson, Charlie's Charlie Manson. Now you figure out why, how that all comes together and why it works so well. Um, all right, Tommy, any comments? I heard you did yeah. read some last week. There's some great stuff. Uh, we talked in this episode that Lisa kind of took care of for us memories of being a kiss fan. And I'm sorry for those of you that we had to cut this short, but she had to go to get the kids. Michael was gone. Obviously Thule was, was feeling under the weather. And then Mark had to get going because well, he was hungry and hockey was on. No, no. My <laughs> son called from California. I did oh, that's right. Okay. Him. All right. So Stacy DeVille, he's, you know, Stacy's been a listener forever and I don't always read his stuff just because he's always so great about adding things and, and commenting and being he writes a, a lot which is good which is which good which is awesome we love it it's just i and i'm not ignoring them it's just i want to try to get some of the other people in but stacy said something i'm not going to read the whole thing but he said something that was really kind of hit me in the face he said psycho circus reminds me of being in second grade and i'm like oh, jesus christ um <laughs> i was old at that point but the day I, that- I, second grade i'm reminded of i dream of genie <laughs> so hot um, the day the mm-hmm. CD came out, my whole family listened around the table as my mind was being blown. Okay, so this is the next line is the thing that really stuck with me. I remember figuring out who was singing. And I'm like, yes, that's how it was when I was a kid. You'd sit there and you'd listen to these records and you try to figure out, well, is that Paul singing or is that Gene? And that may sound really obvious and stupid now. But when you're a kid and you've never seen them live and they sound a little different on each record because of the production, there were times where I wasn't sure at first, okay, is this Paul or is this? And then let's not forget every once in a while, they throw in a Peter Chris lead vocal and you're like, wait a second, who's that? Yeah. yeah. It, it, so I, that really stuck with me. And then um, the other thing too, I thought was really interesting about Defunct said, even though I've heard alive to a zillion times, the Des Moines at the Capitol Center. So yeah, awesome. Both of those, uh, both of those. Com- I I actually I actually read stuff today. I never do. Um, uh, but yeah, both those comments were were top notch and fantastic. So so thank, thank you guys you. for always. Um, so real quick, we're not going to get into a full discussion on this. Maybe it'll happen at some point in the future. But I think it it's worth mentioning that one year ago. We were up in arms because, well, 
we were wondering where our destroyer box set was because his online hadn't delivered it to us, everybody who had ordered it. Um, it's a year later, and you know, look at what I'm wearing. Nice. But that's all I got. They okay, sent well, me so- the they, they sent me the shirt. Um my, my my box set and uh exclusive vinyl has been sitting in Ohio for two days and they say I could get it delivered tomorrow. Now I have a hard time believing it's getting from Ohio to my doorstep in 24 hours. Mark, you got to turn the light on, man. Cause people can't see anything. It's, it's like you're in a cave. Well, yeah. Well, I'm not Mark, Mark, it. Mark, Mark's got his box set. His showed up. I did. Okay, now, now I want to ask a question. This is with all sincerity. It's not to create trouble with any of you listeners, but I have to understand this. Okay, you've been waiting for 40 years, even unknowingly, for this creature's box set. And everybody is in a tizzy when it doesn't show up that day. And my question is, is why does it matter if you get it the day it comes out? Why is that? I want it as soon as possible. I'll, I'll, hold on, I'm going to go yeah. first. Yeah, you go first Please. on that. I had time on Friday. I made time because they told me I was getting it on the day it came out. I had to work, had a gig on on Saturday. I had shit to do on Sunday. I worked all day yesterday, went, came straight home, took a nap. By the way, my box set came on Sunday during the flurry of activity yesterday, work came home nap hockey game i didn't get home till bed till after one today russia i was late getting to the show well that's why my box isn't open i got it sunday but i don't want to be as busy as you but hold on a second hold on a second well you asked the question you waited 40 years i made fucking time on friday because kiss online said they were going to have it to me friday I had all fucking evening to watch, to, to open this thing, go through it, listen to it. I knew I didn't have time Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. Probably won't have time tomorrow either. So here it is, this thing that I, I contributed to. And I, you know, and I, I could not wait. And if people are going, well, geez, Mark, why didn't you open it? I'll tell you why. How about if you go out and you buy a, a really expensive bottle of wine? And you're like, man, I've always wanted to taste this wine. But you don't go, you know what? I'm on my way out the door. I go pick the kid up. I'm going to pop the corn up, fucking slam down a thing and run out. That No. No, you want to enjoy it. Yeah. So I'm going to open this box. When I have a good couple hours ahead of me, I can put it down. I can go in my Max L chair, open the fucking box. Because that's exactly. That's exactly what I do. I got my box set. I'm going to go through the book. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to take a couple of hours and enjoy this thing. They, when I say they kiss online, said they were going to have it to me on, on Friday. And they didn't. I did. I, I mean, I'm not throwing a big fit because I did get it on Sunday. Look, I'm a realist. I understand it. I get it. I'm a but you'll enjoy owner. it just as much on Friday. Won't you? Yeah, eventually when I get to it, but but that's the fucking problem. I made sure that I made time knowing because 
since August, when we all ordered them, I knew on Friday, November 18th, it was coming. So I'm like, okay, after dinner, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to enjoy the box. And, and I didn't even get an email on Friday, which made me live it. Saturday, late in the day, they're like, hey, you know what? You're, you're, we're going to, we created a shipping label on, on Saturday. And at 2 a.m. On, on Sunday, I got, I didn't know that till I got up. It's like, hey, your box is going to be shipped today. And I got it late in the day on, on Sunday. But by then, I had a million things going on. And again, like I said, I didn't have time yesterday. I didn't have any time today. Not going to have any time tomorrow. Thursday's Thanksgiving, Friday record store day. I mean, I, I you know, I, I already made time with this. You know what I mean? And now that, that, that window went away. So now I, I got to wait till the next block of time when I can, again, like I said, I, I, I wasn't being facetious. No. If you get a nice bottle of wine, you want to sit down and enjoy it. You don't want to slam a gulp and run out the door. That's not but, why you did this. But isn't there some neat anticipation about seeing it when you pass by it on your way out the door going, I'm going to get a chance to read it. Yeah, but, but I, I get, I get so what you're saying, Tommy, but, but I mean, here, so. And I'm not. From my standpoint. So first, let me add, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So I did order this from Kiss Online, even though after Destroyer, fiasco we said we'd never buy from kiss online again but i also realized they completely changed their fulfillment company seemed like things were getting better i'm like okay i'm gonna try this release date november 18th knowing the way the destroyer box set was shipped from everybody but kiss online i.e amazon people were getting their destroyer box set on release day i mean that's not unheard of for a lot of musical no. products you will get that cd that vinyl on the day it's released so i'm like and okay. i'm not excusing the lateness don't get me wrong i'm not so so, so i i i you know creatures meant so much to me i jumped in right away i bought the box set and i bought the exclusive vinyl i did not want to miss it you know i think between both of those and shipping, it came close to like $500, okay? Mm -hmm. We're talking $500 here. So I'm expecting it on release day because I'm a freaking paying customer. Uh, you know, I might be a little more lenient if it was a $24.99 CD. It's like, okay, I spent, again, $500 on both of these items and all the shipping. Now, wasn't exactly happy when I saw Amazon dropping their price for just the box set down to 177 bucks. But all right, I'm sticking with Kiss Online. I think they changed. I'm hoping for the better here. And what's the price difference from what what you 300 paid? almost 300 half. Yeah, almost to 177. Half. Almost. Holy half. shit, that's a almost lot. Almost half. Now, granted, how, how the vi the vinyl is exclusive to Kiss Online. You can't get the colored vinyl on Amazon. I get that, 
But okay. I'm like, okay, I'm going to order all of this in one order from Kiss Online. It is the band. It's the record label is my understanding, who's kind of behind the fulfillment now. Seems like it should all be better. I get the email like on Thursday, I think it was, maybe it was Friday. Uh, we've we've started shipping your product to you. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe I won't get it on Friday, but I'll get it on Saturday. Nothing. And the t-shirt you got now, that was separate from the box set. That was just something extra you could No, purchase. this was the bonus t-shirt with the vinyl. Because I also, maybe this is stupid on me, I told them I will pay a little bit more in shipping for you to ship things separately in case things become available early rather than waiting for the whole thing to ship together. So this became available. They shipped that out right away. It literally arrived today, Tuesday, November 22nd, four days after release, the the shirt arrived, the box set and the vinyl, you know, it's, it's a reprint of a bootleg t-shirt, you know, some people, the original some some people are some people are like oh what a crappy design well it's a bootleg no, t-shirt cool. that they reprinted there's a kind if, of a if, cool if, effect if, to if it if you were there if you were there that is the exact same t-shirt they sold in the parking lot obviously nationwide yep because yeah. i got one in detroit you know what i mean at, for whatever it was five dollars on the way back to the car you know what i mean years ago so it's just funny how you know, those companies who made the bootlegs followed the tour around, you know what I mean? Obviously, because that didn't happen by osmosis. So, so, you know, my box set, my vinyl, um, is now on its way to me. That's what the email said two days ago. It's on its way. I'm like, okay, it started. And I told Mark, Gee, they're shipping out of Ferndale, Michigan. He's like, ah, it's like 10 minutes from where I live. I'm like, well, freaking drive up there and get this shit for us. But it went from Ferndale, Michigan to it's now sitting for two days in Ohio. Now, granted, that's kind of going the opposite direction of California, but all right, eh, there's routing and all this other crap that goes on. Two days, FedEx has been sitting there with this item that. I paid a boatload of money for, and it says, I love this. You got to read the, the specific words they use in the email are estimated delivery of when you should receive it. That's like double covering your ass right there. Estimated and should is so then the 23rd tomorrow. I should get this. But if FedEx's own tracking is telling me this is as of about an hour and a half ago, still sitting in Ohio, I don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to be dropped at my front door tomorrow afternoon. Okay. I just don't. So, 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 so I, you know, it, is it worth waiting a couple extra days? Cause it'll be great. Oh, it's going to still be great. But the point is, this isn't a one-off new situation a year ago the same shit and even worse case happened let's not even talk about uh the dubai fiasco let's not even get into the elder picture disc fiasco where they oversold 
what they had available and just canceled orders on people. I paid freaking $500 and extra shipping to make sure I got this stuff. And, and it's and not, none of that's it's not lost here on the release date. Yeah, none of that's lost on me. I'm just asking after listening to so many people complain before about the Destroyer box set, why not just, I mean, I did, okay, so this vinyl that you're getting that's exclusive to Kiss Online, that's going to sell out, correct? I think it's uh, still available, actually. Oh, okay. Well, we can we go on the assumption that if it's exclusive to Kiss Online, you should order it right away because it seems like that stuff disappears. I mean, mm -hmm. we were just talking about it a month or so ago that Mark had the elder thing and someone else couldn't get it. And Mark said, well, maybe I shouldn't order you know, more of this stuff. Why wouldn't you just wait till it comes out and now order it? And it'll probably show up on the day it's supposed to. And you'll save yourself well, you know, so so I mean, here's here's where I am today. If it's an absolute exclusive item, and that's pretty much vinyl becomes exclusive. Vinyl and picture discs are usually exclusive to Kiss Online. Box sets aren't. Right. I am going back to what I said a year ago, and non-exclusive items. If I can get it on Amazon, I will never, ever, ever order it again from Kiss Online because Amazon was delivering the Creatures of the Night box set last Friday to people. And how is it that they can do it for such a better price? That's mind blowing that it's 40% off. It's the power and the muscle of Amazon that they can, they can dictate terms. I mean, it, you know, I will order, well, think about I will, I will order vinyl from, from Kiss Online, but, Michael, forty dollars kiss online, fifteen at Walmart. Yeah, I what the fuck? I mean, I, I, I don't. Okay, say that again. The creatures album is what now? This is the half. This is the half speed master. Okay. Forty dollars kiss online, fifteen at Walmart for their Black Friday deals. Normal Just, deal it was fifteen. Walk into Walmart. You can get now it. Before, now, hold on. Now, before I, it's all kissed. Iron Maiden, the new number of the Beast with the live uh, Beast on the road. $50 through Iron Maiden. 15 at Walmart. Right. But, but in all fairness, though, Kyle was trying to buy that and he couldn't find one at Walmart. So it was a very limited number. Hold on. Hold on. This shirt, I, because I, I, fuck, I haven't been in a Walmart and I don't fuck probably forever. Um, a friend of mine showed this shirt. This happens to be a Walmart t-shirt that I'm wearing. I just went online and I bypassed. That's where I saw you could have ordered stuff through them for 15. They would have shipped it to your house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I just pulled it up on, I just pulled it up on Amazon and the first result says creatures, of the night 40th anniversary, super deluxe five CD, Blu-ray audio box set, 289. Yeah, so the price has gone up. It was about three or four weeks ago. It went down to as low 177. as one seventy-seven. Yep. It, it, I know. You know, and, 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 then, and that's and that's not uncommon for Amazon. Prices start high, they drop low, they go back up, and you know, even even if you buy it at a higher price, they'll refund you. You know, the money, so you you get charged the lowest price that was available. You know. And, Amazon is just good about this shit. And, 
and you know that's i don't know uh it's just frustrating that this is happening not nearly as bad as destroyer but it's still freaking happening it's right. it, it's the hey i and it's not that i spent $500 it's i spent money and here i am seeing all these other fans who spent money who are enjoying their box set the day it came out and i'm sitting here right. going well let me let me keep hitting that track button track button track button update 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 and it's you know it's now four days later. I got a t-shirt, but I don't have the box set. I don't have any of that stuff that I ordered. And that just fucking sucks. That's oh, just, I get that, it. That, I just have to ask like, as far as, because I mean, it's like, like you said, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Oh yeah. I mean, this is all on me. I could have, yeah. I could have stuck to what I said after Destroyer and just bought it from Amazon. Both said that. Yeah. You know, but I was like, no, I'm going to give Kiss the benefit of the doubt. They changed their fulfillment company. It seemed like it was getting straightened out. I'm going to buy it from them again. Well, look, to be fair, also, it took them over a month last time for me to get Destroyer. I got this two days later. Yeah, that's a great improvement. No, that is an improvement. That That yeah. is an improvement, but... And and maybe it's unrealistic to expect that Kiss Online has the muscle, I guess, to get you uh, releases look, on release I'm, day. I don't I'm think it's you, unrealistic. Mike. I'm with you, Michael. I, from now on, anything that can be bought on Amazon will be bought on Amazon. Yeah. It's not that I love Amazon. It's just that I want to get it. Put it this way, though. Like, Michael, like you said, too. Look, if this was something I didn't care when it came, whatever, you know something you're highly anticipated and again they tell you going to be you know you're going to have it on 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 a certain date okay well if you tell me going to be here on a certain date then fucking have it here on a certain date especially look i'm a contractor when i tell somebody i'm going to be here on the first i better fucking be there on the first or all my credibility goes nowhere Mm -hmm. and that's 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 just business man and you only get one time to make a first impression and you know? I, I, I gave them a second time. That's yeah, all. They're, that's too. all they're getting out of me. And, you know, this just comes back to, do you fucking care about your customers? That's just it. And, and, and this is any business. Do you care about your customers? If you put in their release date, November 18th, that's the date you're being held to. If so you that- can't deliver it on November 18th, put in there, it will be delivered within... 14 days of the 18th. Correct. And I've give me that, that window. And yeah, if I acknowledge that, fine. Well, it's on so, me then. So then is it fair to, to say that the band doesn't care about the fans if they hire this company in thinking that they'll do a good job and now they're screwing it up again? I, I'm not giving them a pass. I'm just simply asking I don't understand the whole shipping thing. And I'm like, how freaking hard could it be? Especially when I've got Michael's money back from August of this year to start printing out the labels and get this shit ready to go. So it's hard for me to understand because it's not like Gene and Paul and Tommy and Eric are sitting there mailing this shit out. Oh, no, no. It's, you're hundred. You know, it is. It's a completely separate company that does yeah. the fulfillment, the shipping, takes the orders. I don't know this for a fact, but I believe it's, it's the record label that's behind the fulfillment company. 
universal. Which, yeah, so it's, then universal. it's universal who truly doesn't give a shit, or they would do well a better job. Well, no, I'm just saying. But but here here going Tommy going back to what we said around the destroyer thing. At the end of the day, I bought this from Kiss. Understood. It is Kiss's name on it, and therefore, you know, the buck stops with Gene and Paul. I yep. get that they are not the ones fulfilling this. I understand that, but it is their name. It is their website. It is their store that I bought this from. Yeah, they contracted out, but right. at the end of the day, they are responsible. If Mark hires a contractor to do some work for him and that contractor fucks up, Mark fucks up. Oh, I get it. But what I'm saying is, is if I'm trying to put myself in the position of the band, for instance, and I'm Gene or Paul, I say, okay, we got a problem here, Doc, fix this because it's a mess. All right. So then Doc calls around and gets a different distribution deal, or he goes to the label and the label's like, no problem. We've got it squared away. Everything is fixed. And now it's still screwed up. Yeah, they should fix it. But all I'm saying is, what do you do in a situation like that? Because if I hire Mark to pour some concrete and he doesn't show up, I can go directly to Mark because I went right to him to hire him. All I'm asking is, is how do they fix a problem like this? Ultimately, yeah, it is their problem. Just, but how do you fix it? Because well, I mean, really you know, there, I'm, I'm there's there's countless fulfillment company options out there, but I, I don't know, just. Don't sell it yourself and send your fans to Amazon, who you know does a great job. Yeah, they could they could easily say that. Available on Amazon on August when, 26th. When, when when I was running Kiss Online and we had first launched their online store, we were selling music in the store. But all it was is if you clicked the buy button, it took you to Amazon.com to purchase the CD from That's Amazon. exactly my point. Yep. They could have done that. They they could easily do that. They're obviously they're making more money this way. I mean, if they're if they're selling this for three hundred dollars and Amazon can sell it for one hundred and seventy seven, you can figure out that there's a nice margin that Kiss Online is making off of these. So really, what they should do is they should have promised you the eighteenth of November and had it show up on the sixteenth where you get it two days before even the people also Tom I said this with the destroyer one if you can't deliver it make it downloadable on the 18th that would have solved all it because then I could have listened to it in the car or whatever you know what I mean Uh, you know again that's just that's just the frustrating part there are some simple easy practical ways to get this right and it just seems that nobody seems to give a shit. And that's, and again, is that Gene and Paul and Tommy and Eric? No, not at all. But ultimately, like Michael says, it's the buck stops. It's it's, it's their I, name. It's their yes. reputation. It's their well, business. And, yeah. and, you know, going all the way back to Destroyer, and this never happened, and we, we, we asked this to happen, at least acknowledge the freaking problem. You could come out on Kiss Online and issue a statement. We understand that our fulfillment for the Destroyer box set was was not satisfactory, and we are going to fix this problem and find, I want to know you understand there's a problem here. And they haven't done that publicly about really any of these. Again, this isn't a one-off isolated incident with the Creatures box set being 
slow getting there. And again, it's not nearly as bad as a destroyer. I get it. But they did they don't acknowledge this. That you well, know, yeah. to, to me, to me as a business that. owner, when 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 there's an issue that impacts a great number of your customers, first step is communicating and acknowledging that you understand there's a problem there. And that settles the, the customer base down, kind of puts the fire out. And people, and people are now are like, okay, they know they're working on it. They talk to me. Did they acknowledge a destroyer? Right. No. Did they acknowledge the elder picture disc? No. Did they publicly acknowledge beyond a passing mention at a Q&A on the cruise? Did they publicly acknowledge Dubai? No. Have they acknowledged anything here with creatures? No. I mean... Yeah, and that's fair. And, and like I said, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I wanted to get a sense of what it was that was bothering you because I have no skin in the game on this one. I haven't ordered either one of them. I eventually will, but I'm in no hurry. So from my point of view, I'm just like watching you two pull your hair out. I'm just like, I'll just wait. Yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 it's really kind of more irritating because, again, literally, you know, I think I shared this on Facebook yesterday or the day before. Gee, one year ago, almost to the day, we were up in arms about the destroyer mess. And here I am waiting to find out what's going on with my creatures box set. In one year, it's not nearly as bad. You know, I'm assuming I'm getting this at some point this week, but still, it's a year later and we're still fucking talking about the same problem. Well, same problem. Let's go on to this. Um, I ate lunch eight hours ago. So Mark's tummy's growling. Almost eight o'clock at night. And uh, let's wrap it up here. Yeah. So, um, so by the way, so, really quick, real quick. Alan's new book. Got to get it. Can you see that? Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. You got to get the newsletters. These are fantastic. Alan, way to go. Fantastic stuff. It's like Talk magic how it's like magic how he keeps pushing these books out. Um, all right, let's let let's wrap this up. Let's get into this interview. We are joined by author David Leaf, who, along with Ken Sharp, released that book back in 2005, Kiss Behind the Mask. And you might be like, well, what the fuck are you talking to an author from a book that came out, what, 20, 17 years ago? Because he's got some freaking amazing stories about Charlie Manson, about Brian Wilson, and Paul McCartney. And, and, and this little unknown, at least to us, fact that the manuscript of, of Behind the Mask was a book that he wrote, an authorized biography of Kiss that he wrote back in 1979 that he wrote, was finished, and then got shelved. And why it got shelved is quite interesting. And how this book was brought back to life for a release in 2005. The backstory is so fascinating. And David has some, some incredible knowledge and insight into musical history here. I mean, if you are a music geek, this episode is right up your alley. So let it roll. 
David Lee. BesidesOfTheCoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Three sides of the coin. Uh, I'm I'm excited. We've got author David Leaf joining us now. Some of you might sit here and go, "Okay, I know David. You know he 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 was part of the Kiss Behind the Mask, the official authorized bio- biography that was done in conjunction with Ken Sharp. That came out seventeen years ago. Jesus, Is that right? Really? Longer." Oh Holy crap. Yeah. Amazon says June of 2005. I'm, I, I'm literally sitting here going, didn't that just come out like two years ago? Three yeah. years ago? I mean, it's just it, any, anyway, just so, so, so fans know why we're kind of, you know, it's like, Oh boy, you're late to the game talking about this book. <laughs> well, here's how this happened. So a couple of weeks ago, David was on my music biz weekly podcast talking about, um, his, his new book, which you have to check out, God Only Knows, the story of Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, and the California myth. That book just came out September of this year. And in our interview, we touched a little bit on Kiss. And David brought up something that at least to me was completely new. I'd never heard this before. And it was the backstory of the Kiss Behind the Mask book on how how it came to be. And and so basically, David, what I want you to do is take us all the way back to, and this is this is the 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 amazing part of this. You wrote an official KISS biography back in the 70s that was finished everybody loved it and then got shelved at the very last moment it was a pretty heartbreaking thing i mean uh to to take you back in time here i feel like uh i'm on the way back machine on rocking exactly. friends or something oh yeah when i moved to los angeles uh in the fall of 75 it was hard to get a job I mean, the, the, it was just, I didn't know, really know anybody, but a friend of a friend got me a job in the mailroom at Casablanca Records. And this is important to the story because this was really my first exposure to Kiss. Um, besides the fact that the albums were playing nonstop in the mailroom, one of my jobs every day was to pack envelopes for the Kiss Army. So it was like, shout it, shout it out. And I'm packing away and packing away. And were, were you a fan of Kiss back then? I, I was not a fan. I, I knew a couple of the songs from the radio. But I, in general, I'm not a heavy metal fan. I'm not even really a hard rock fan. I'm a melody fan. And Kiss was more rock than the than, I'm more of a Queen and, and, fan and from give, that Give era. me one second. Mark just showed up. So let well, me get him in. Thank you for saying that, Let too, me get him in here. Because that's the problem I have here on this podcast. I'm a big Kiss fan, or I wouldn't be involved with these guys. But I'm a melody person, too. I grew up on 50s and 60s. And some of our listeners don't understand how, it, you, how can you be a Kiss fan and not love Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all that. Not that it's bad. It's just melody for me. So that was a really great way to say that. 
Well, you know, in, in getting to know Gene and Paul when I did, they wanted to be John and Paul. I mean, they they, <laughs> they, they wanted to be a great songwriter. They, 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 they've, yeah. they've come out and said they wanted Kiss to be the heavy metal Beatles. Well, it worked. Uh, anyway, so I'm in the Casablanca mailroom, and I'm only there, I think it was three weeks. It might have been a little bit longer. I was, I was there on what was called summer relief. Long series of circumstances over the course of the next year, and I end up with a contract to write a book called The Beach Boys and the California Myth. The company that I did that book for, Delilah Communications, then got the rights to do um, the Bee Gees authorized biography. They, uh, Bee Gees were on RSO Records. They showed my Brian Wilson Beach Boys book to the, to the guys in, in galleys. And they said, yeah, this is the guy we want to write our book. Um, the Beach Boys book had a small advance, never, never earned it back. The Bee Gees book had a small advance. I earned it back and made a little bit in royalties. And when Delilah offered me the kit, the opportunity to write the Kiss book, it was like, oh, there's going to be some royalties here, because Kiss has, you know, the most devoted fans in the world. I mean, they just love. They'll, they'll buy anything. Almost, almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 so I said yes, not really knowing much about kiss um other than you know what did, what i hear kiss stood for keep it simple stupid or you know something like that um the, the so i'm gonna be gonna go join i'm gonna join them on the road in des moines iowa in, in the fall of 79 uh before i go it's like, are you okay. sure i want to wait a second are you sure it was 79 it wouldn't it have been earlier in the 70s because didn't didn't you didn't you didn't you tell me that the book basically Bill Coin kind of put the kibosh on it around seventy seven? No, no, it it was well. Whenever the Pope was here, <laughs> it, because, the reason I say that, that is seventy nine. Yeah. Okay. Because whenever the Pope, wherever I went, the Pope was was like, you know, I'd fly to Chicago. The, the plane is delayed because the Pope is there. I'm flying to Des Moines. The plane is late because the Pope is coming at that part of the country. That's why I remember. Uh, okay. Uh, anyway, before I go to join them on tour, I, I literally go, go through a crash course on KISS. There wasn't much to read, but I sat and listened to the entire catalog before solo albums had come out. Um, so I, I was trying to grasp what the most important music was um, and, and what I wanted to talk to them about because the, the first rock biography I'd ever read was, was Hunter Davies authorized biography on the Beatles, which came out in the late sixties. And I remember thinking, this is exactly what I, I want to read. I want to read how these guys became the Beatles, what they went through before they became famous. And that to me was exciting. I didn't, I didn't know about record contracts or any of that. I wanted to, I'm just a fan. And, and when I wrote my Beach Boys book and my Bee Gees book, it's like, I'm a fan. What are the fans going to want to read? And so when I went to meet the guys, it's like, okay, what stories can they tell me that no one else knows that we're in this, when, when that they're in this book, 
the fans will go, oh my God, I didn't know that. And, and so that was really my approach to the whole thing. I wasn't interested in digging up dirt. It, it wouldn't have mattered if I was because it was, it was going to be an authorized biography anyway. Let, let me let me add, let me stop you real quick and ask you. So prior to you doing this, there were there were two other like paperback books that came out on Kiss. Um, Robert Duncan wrote one um, and John Swenson wrote one. And they were kind of nothing against those books. They were kind of fluffy, you know, not not tabloid style books, but they kind of played into the mystique of what Kiss was. So you were you told to approach this in a way of, all right, we're not going to write a book that regurgitates the the mystique stories that the record label created. Hey, Ace Fraley is from another planet and and Gene Simmons <laughs> spits up his own blood and has a couch. You know, all those silly rumors. Were they interested in the real who these guys are? The truth is, I, you know, of course, this is a, quite a while ago. I don't remember anybody giving me any direction. They liked the books I'd written and it was like, okay, go do a book like that on KISS. That was pretty much as much direction as, as I had. Um, as I said, the only disadvantage I started with is unlike the, the Beach Boys and the Bee Gees, I wasn't a big KISS fan when I started. Uh, but, but there was nobody saying, you know, don't write about this, don't write about that, uh, which eventually is, we'll get to that. It's kind of what doomed the book to being shelved. But when I, when I met them, it, it was pretty cool because I'd never been backstage at a concert before. I'd never been on tour with anybody before. I, you know, I, I'd been backstage after a show, but not as part of the entourage. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was staying, I'm almost certain it was a Holiday Inn in Des Moines, waiting for, for the guys to arrive. And... The first thing I was fascinated with was when they came into the hotel, fans were there waiting for them to get autographs. Now, they didn't travel in makeup. So it's like, wait a second. They've never had their picture taken without makeup, but the fans knew who they were. So that, that was interesting. Another thing that was interesting is how gracious they were. They were not like, I got to go or anything like that. They signed as many albums as people had they were as nice as could be to the, to the fans. So that, that was a, a good first impression. Um, then I went, I went with them to the concert at, at some God awful Des Moines auditorium. And that was a war or a war, something or other. Yeah. War Memorial war, or something war, like that. Yeah. And I just remember before the show, I don't think there were any floor seats. And I think I was just wandering around trying to get the sense of who was there, get, get a feeling for the fan. And then I, then I watched the show and I had never seen Kiss before. Of course, it was it was quite a spectacle. And this is Kiss at the height yeah, of their first. 79 was like super Kiss. It was the height of their first fame. I mean, they're they're pulling out all the tricks, the levitating drum kit, you know, everything, the blood spitting, the... The, the ace guitar with the flashing lights, all that stuff has happened. And it was quite a spectacle. Spectacle. It was a rock and roll circus for sure. 
And um, but that had nothing to do with, you know, that was obvious. Anyone could go and see that. Uh, now it's time for me to interview the guys. And, and I think one of my favorite memories was hearing them talk because, you, you know, you hear a record, you, you see a show, you don't expect somebody to have a Brooklyn accent or sound like they're from the Bronx. And yep. it was like, oh, my God. You're, a real, you're just a normal person. I, I'm from New York. My mother's from Brooklyn. It's like, oh, okay, we're homies. And, and so, you know, I, I, I'm not sure who I interviewed first. It, it might have been Peter. And, you know, it's, it's sort of ironic that we're, 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 we're recording this podcast on November 22nd because one of the things he said to me, he, he was very evasive. I was trying to find out how, when his birthday was, how old he was. Because part of what I'm, I'm going to do as a storyteller is I'm going to contextualize their lives before Kiss. I've got to, I've got it. So I've got to know where they're from and where they were born and where they went to school. And, and Peter wouldn't tell me. I don't, I don't know why. I guess it was because he was significantly older than the, you know, than the other guys. Uh, although nowadays those years don't mean much, but when you're, I don't know, 25 instead of 21, maybe it means a lot. But he, he said something about, you know, how heartbroken he was when, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And this is today the, the 60th, about an, 60th yeah. anniversary of that. And, and he said, you know, I, I voted for him and, you know, for him to be killed. And I said, well, wait a second. If you voted for him, you had to be 21 in 1960. So that means you were born in 1939. He says, no, 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 no. What I said was, if I could have voted for him, if I had been old enough to vote. Um, anyway, so that's what just came to mind when I saw the calendar today. Um, and so I got great interviews with all of them. Um, I think uh, Paul was probably um, the most straightforward to talk to. Uh, Paul felt like an open book. Like there, there, was, there wasn't anything he wasn't going to tell me. Although I have to say, Gene not only was an open book in a sense, he, was, he had just started dating Cher. So that, that contextualizes it in history. Um, and the reason that was significant was he was no longer groupies were no longer part of the, the, the touring game for him anymore. But to keep him, I guess, on the straight and narrow, he carried with him these amazing scrapbooks. He had taken a Polaroid of every girl and with like name and date. And so he was showing me and I was thinking, God, now, it's, it's what John Lennon said, why did you want to be a rock star. He said to pull birds. And it was, you know, not that, not that complicated. It was a way to get girls and it, and it sure worked. Um, I remember Paul and I, I think it was backstage at the show, some staggeringly hot girl walks by and I said something to him and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, average. So this was this was my induction into 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 to rock, the world of rock and roll was was just um, what hard work it was to go to these towns one after another 
Now, fortunately, I, I wasn't there at the early part of the career where, you know, they were not selling out. These were now, you know, this is, I guess, after Kiss 2 Alive. So they're really hot. So they were still, they were really big. It was the end of, the, the era was coming to an end. But there was no question that, that you know, there, there was going to be a lot of people in, in the auditorium every night. And so it was an exciting time to be with them. I had just finished being, working with the Bee Gees just after Saturday Night Fever when they were the biggest thing in the world. So it was, it was pretty exciting to be, be there with them. Now, let, let me ask you. So 79, in addition to being, you know, like the height of Kiss, that's also when the incredible turmoil was going on internally amongst the four of them. Um, you know, as we know, shortly after that Dynasty tour in 79, Peter Chris was fired from the band. And it was only a few years after that that he's Fraley quit. You know, so there was there was that tour is, you know, we didn't know it in 79 because they did a great job of putting on a front of we're like four guys in this together. But now in retrospect, with all the history we know, there there were two camps going on. There was the Gene and Paul camp versus the Peter and Ace camp. And, you know, Gene and Paul didn't like the drugs, the alcohol, all the other partying that was going on. And the other camp didn't like the straight lace. It's all about the money. It's all about the merchandise. It's all about the toys. It's not about music anymore. Did you quickly start getting a, a sense that that was happening? I got none of that. The only thing I can tell you in retrospect is that the night, that night after the show in Des Moines, Ace, I interviewed Ace at the hotel bar. That's, that's where I did the interview. And um, I'm not much, I've never been much of a drinker. Um, I know I drank more that night than just about any night in my life. I'm pretty sure (laughs) because when, when the bar closed, whatever closing time was, he he was like, the party continues in my room. So um, the party continued in his room. Um, And, and so I, I guess, you know, looking back when, when you think about what happens when you're starting out and you're trying to make it, and we'll use the analogy of the Beatles in Hamburg, and they're struggling and they can barely, they, they got a room that's freezing and they're almost sleeping one on top of the other. There's a closeness that happens. And then when success hits and stardom hits and, and the money starts coming, you start to buy homes. You don't, you don't live near each other. You're, you're not quite, the brotherhood starts to, to spread apart. So I, I got no sense of it other than no one else was at the bar that night. None of the other members were even, well, they weren't even at their own individual tables. Where, where if you think about the scene in A Hard Day's Night, when they're at, at some club, they're all there drinking and dancing and picking up girls. That, that, that didn't seem to be the case. Now, when, when you were doing these interviews, were you kind of being like, shadowed by a coin management team members? Did you have a publicist following you? Was Bill a coin or did they just basically let you go on your own? I was there on my own. They, they told, obviously they told the guys what was happening. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they each gave me as much time as they felt like giving me. And, and nobody said, can we see the transcripts? Uh, because Bill's Bill and his company knew they were going to see the manuscript before it got published. So if there was something in there that they didn't want published, you know, it, it would have it been taken out. Was, I've got a question. Do you, do you still own the actual audio tapes? And how did you record them on on uh, reel to reel or on cassette? Uh, they were recorded on cassette. You think they've disintegrated to the point of uh, of, of no use? Well, I'm sure Mark. I'm sure Mark would love to find out. Mark, yeah, I, Mark. I, re I re I'm all kidding aside. I'm I'm actually very good at getting you know bad tapes archived, but that's not the reason I I'm bringing that up when they were doing the uh the the special that ran on a and e what was it a year ago yeah the biography ago, the biography they were really i even put something out on my to my major kiss collector friends one of the things they were looking for is something it sounds like you have nobody There's contacted me yeah which is odd and, and i'll get to that maybe off the, the air yeah. um but no there really is no peter chris interview when he's by himself um there's the brief snippet on um the 2020 but there's really no and it sounds like how long do you think these interviews were, I mean, on tape? Between an hour and three hours. But wow. But I, oh, I, 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 wow. That's gold. Yeah. Gold, Jerry. Gold. Gold. I mean, un unfortunately, <laughs> that that ship has sailed for that sort of thing. But that that was something that the producers were really, really wanted was. um. I mean, they went out to all the hardcore KISS collectors like myself, and and we all came up with the same thing. There really isn't one. They didn't really let Peter talk much, either on purpose or he didn't want to, one of the two. But, you know, Gene and Paul were always the face. But, you know, there was, there was the odd Ace interview, but really nothing. And, and you're saying you've got, an hour plus of each guy done in 1979. That's fascinating. If I have them, I've pretty much kept everything, which we'll get to that part of the story. I've got a box for every project I've done. Sometimes I've got 10 boxes for a project when it's, when it's a film, uh, like the Bee Gees film. I think the Brian Wilson film has, I've got 30 boxes. I mean, I don't, Everything is, is, is archived because it's all living history. Yep. So, so if, if I have it and I can picture the kind of tapes they were, um, I think they were, they were like scotch tapes where, where they would stack together. So it's, it's a matter of me going into the same storage area that I went, went into uh, many years ago to, to dig out the manuscript. How we'll many? Yeah, about, I, we'll I, I, I'd, I'd just as an archivist, I'd just like to know that those those are preserved some way because that's fascinating stuff, you know, um, especially stuff for for Peter and Ace more so. 
Um, there, because like I said, there really is no Peter Chris interview from the seventies that he yeah. sat down. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, you know, there's, there's the odd magazine one, but there's nothing in the, where you actually heard him talking, you know, for. I, if, if memory serves, I have the four, the interviews with the four members. And, and I think I interviewed Bill Coin as well at that time. So and, how, how. You, you talk about interviewing them in Des Moines. Was that the only time you sat down and interviewed them? Or were you there for like over a course of three shows? Were you there for a week? Was it just that one night, one show interviews, and then you were out? I, I think so. At the most, I was there 36 hours. But I think I, I flew in one day and was gone two days later. When you. Because when, they, were, they were gone. Sure. No, yeah, they were they were on the move themselves, too. So, you know, you've said you you weren't a KISS fan, but you were aware of them. After doing those four interviews, five counting Bill of Coin, before getting into actually starting to take it apart and write and everything else, did you leave those interviews going, wow, I've got a different appreciation or understanding of this band? Oh, absolutely. And, and I knew I had a book. I mean, that's that's the key thing is is that was there a story to tell? Because you know sometimes groups aren't all that interesting. Yeah, I had used to be in this group and I met this guy and then we got together and we had a hit. You know, I you know I don't know anything about Kenny Loggins and Jim Messina, but is that an interesting story? I don't know. Is Loggins and Messina's story one that would make you want to write a book? Um, but Kiss is such a phenomenon. Man. Oh, it is. Well, but the and, stories are fascinating, especially Gene's. I and, mean, prior and, to him writing his own autobiography, I, I used to tell that to anybody that would listen. I'm like, this guy's story. Oh, my God, what he went through. Amazing that into where he ended up, you know. And that's one thing really with all four of them. All four of the original members have incredible backstories. I mean, I don't even care if you like the band. I mean, those guys been through the mill. I mean, you know, well, that's amazing. that's the great thing about it. That's why I always and I do this in every project I do. I, use, I do it in all my UCLA courses. I talk about origin story because that's what's interesting. Once a group becomes successful, it's kind of the same roller coaster story. Mm-hmm. It, it's not all that different. But learning about them, learning about Wicked Lester, learning about, you know, Peter's musical roots. Uh, where Ace came from, you know, it, it, that to me was interesting. It didn't matter, like you said, how big a fan I was. What mattered was that their story was like, okay, this is this is something worth well, telling. Well, you know what? What really intrigued me about this is you're talking to them in '79. You know, the makeup is still on. Their identities have not been revealed. There is, there's still. They, the band, the label, everybody is still playing to the mystique of Kiss. Mm-hmm. And and as we know, and this isn't unique to Kiss, I mean, Cheap Trick's been this way. Every band, there's the record label backstory that is made up and written to make it sound exciting. You know, what's exciting about just four guys who met at a bar and put a band together? No, that's not exciting. You know, Kiss were the epitome of that made up mystique story that, you know, the three of us co-hosts here as, 
as 10, 12, 13 year old kids back then, we were captivated. It was like, oh my God, these guys are true superheroes. Absolutely. It's a real Superman. It's not a comic book that we know isn't real. There's a real person under that gene makeup. And but they 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 built such a great story. And here you are in 79 beginning to write a book that pulls that all away and talks about who the real people were. That would be mind blowing to KISS fans back in the 70s. Mind blowing. Well, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I, you know, I was I was counting my royalties before they hatched. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 let, let's continue. You've gotten these interviews. What what do you do next now? Now you've got these interviews. You're now not on the road with them. What's the next step? My process is, is pretty simple. Transcribe the interviews and then go through the interviews and figure out what has to be part of the story because it's not going to be a word for word you know transcription of the interview and and then weave the story from what they've told me figure out how to make it interesting and i do that and i submit the manuscript and then i don't hear any now how long so so this is 79 des moines you do the interviews how long did it take after that to transcribe, put it together, get that manuscript ready? What What's the, the window there? It's three to six months at most. Um, I'm, I'm a fast writer. I'm not, I don't have to make anything up. Essentially, what I'm doing is figuring out how to transition from one quote to another to, so that it, it makes sense. So, so the story is there. I've just got to make sense of it. And uh, I, I do that. And I, 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 you know, it's nowadays you would say I was ghosted. Um, but but uh, what happened was unbeknownst to me, and I don't even know if this was exactly what happened. So if we go back to the time, uh, 7980, uh, there were these parent groups, Action for Children's Television was one of them, I forget the name of the other, who were concerned about what was on Saturday morning cartoon shows. Are they too violent? Are they too whatever? And what I heard was that KISS was, was about to close a deal for there to be a Saturday morning cartoon show based on the cartoon characters of Kiss, not the people, but mm-hmm. Ace from Space, etc., mm-hmm. the Catman, and that Bill Coin felt that if this book came out, groups like Action for Children's Television, their heads would explode, and they would say, oh, we can't have a cartoon show about them. They're bad role models for children. So the book was shelved, the cartoon series, the animated series never happened. And then the group started breaking up. Or the original group started right. breaking up. And so the book just was in nowhere land. Now, now when, when you had that manuscript outside of, you know, their concern of, of upsetting these parent groups, did you get feedback from the band or Bill Coyne? Did they like what you had written? My, my, my memory is everybody was satisfied. 
there, there, there weren't cases of champagne arriving at the door. Uh, they, they, it was like, okay, this, this works. And, no, and nobody had gone back to you after getting that manuscript and said, you got to take this paragraph out. We can't talk about that. That chapter, no. no. So you, they, they weren't pushing back on any changes. No, it was, if, if there were, it's lost to memory. Um, or, or to your point, if I go back into the archives in these boxes where I keep all my kiss stuff, maybe we'll find an earlier manuscript with crossouts. But I don't think I don't I don't recall anything like that happening. Now, when when they put the brakes on this, did Kiss own the manuscript, the work? Did your publisher own it? Did you own it? Who who retained ownership of the work? I don't think anybody was thinking about it because the book wasn't coming out. But but Kiss. Um, you know, led by Gene, certainly, has always been extremely savvy about business matters. So uh, I never saw the deal that they made with the company that hired me. But I, I didn't expect to own it. Um, but nobody cared about it. So it just sat in a box. And and then after it gets shelved, and, you know, as you said, the original four break up kiss continues with other members makeup comes off did this just get forgotten by everybody through those decades basically well it got forgotten for a number of reasons one um things had changed so much that the book was no longer relevant to where kiss was in the 80s and the 90s um more than that i don't think the book if it had come out in the 90s, was sophisticated enough to, to be a great book. It, it would have, I think it would have needed a, a lot of rewriting and a lot of reconsideration as well as a lot of update. Um, and that wasn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't even think of it. it. Just It just was something that I kept in my storage area. It, pardon me if I, if I missed something, but did, did this a whole book just fade or did you get a, a letter going you know what we're not going to do we're not moving forward with this or did it just you did your work and it just so there was no you didn't you didn't get any closure on this then. I got I didn't get closure uh you know I had one of the reasons I had taken the job was while the advance wasn't big it was a it was a, a bigger royalty than I had gotten on my first two books and I knew that this book was going to sell a lot of copies. So this was not good for me personally. It wasn't good for KISS fans. Um, and, and it just, there was no letter saying, sorry, David, it's not coming out. Now, did, did you and the, 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 the publisher at any point during the 80s and 90s ever go, Hey, should we see if there's a way to revitalize this? Nobody just even especially cared. in '96. That would have been huge. Well, you know the the the, the packaging company that had hired me moved moved after after that book into television and film production, and so I don't. I think this was like, you know, we're n we're not interested in books anymore. So forget it. Well, you know, books. You know. Uh, aren't necessarily big sellers in terms of, of bank accounts if you're if you're in film and television. 
So I, I don't think they were interested. Um, I, ironically, the, the, one of the women from the company ended up living in the same apartment building as I did in, in Santa Monica. We never spoke about it. It was just, it I'll, was, I'll, it, was, it, was a, it was an unhappy chapter. We had all lost. Right. David, although you were not a KISS fan, you obviously at least saw on the news when they got back together in 96. And did you know Chris Lent? No. Okay. Well, he 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 was their finance guy and he put out a book right then and it did very well. I, did you happen to go, you know what? I've I've got these, this manuscript. It's 1996. These guys are hot. They're on the cover of Forbes. Maybe I should look into trying to publish even self-pub. I mean, did that cross your mind at all in 1996? I, it definitely crossed my mind for a New York minute. It, it was like, I've got something. And then it's like, oh, there's gonna, it's going to be so much trouble to, to wind through management and everything. And, and it was like, ah, it's just not worth it. Did hmm. you have any further contact or communication with with gene and paul through the 80s and 90s not even about the book just like running into them somewhere and it's like oh hey david how you doing hey gene gene you know is it was funny for my birthday um i love to go to the palm in west hollywood and order a lobster because it's like okay it's your birthday that's something special right, right? so I'm sitting there with uh, my late wife and, and two two dear friends, and um, have a big lobster in front of me. And the table next to us, whoever's sitting there, get up and they walk by, and it's Gene and Shannon. And David, uh, David, Gene says, "That's treif. That's that's Yiddish for it's not kosher." <laughs> So I would I would see I would see Gene every now and again. I mean, there was we had a mutual friend in 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 the Los Angeles music scene, a brilliant brilliant woman named Michelle Meyer, late Michelle Meyer, who um, she was. If she had been a man, she would have had a record label. She could just spot a great band. And for a while, she was the booker at the Starwood. Then she was up at the Troubadour. She just could see and and she she and gene were friends um and so we we might run into each other but it, the conversation about hey why don't we get that book out uh, that that never happened that was really just an absolute accident with ken sharp so so yeah now let's let's fast forward how does how do you connect with ken sharp and how does the book come up in conversation so a, a, a good friend of both Ken and, and mine, Elliot Kendall, who's a, a great record man. I mean, he's just a, a terrific guy, um, invites me to lunch with Ken. And we're talking about all sorts of things. And, and, and Ken says something about Kiss and what a big fan he is and, and how he's read everything that's ever been written about kiss and i said well you haven't read my book and he goes well you didn't write a book and i said oh yes i did and he goes oh no you didn't i said oh yes i did <laughs> and he's like he says he says what are you talking about 
And so I told him the story that I just told you guys. And he goes, oh, my God, I have to read this book. Um, this is about 1.30 in the afternoon uh, in a weekday. And he goes, I'm flying back to Philadelphia tomorrow. And I said, well, if you want to go to my storage area with me and dig for it, and see, you're welcome to read it. And so we go there and we go through the boxes and we find the manuscript. We take it to a, a, a nearby, it was a chain called Kinko's where you mm -hmm. did copying and things like that. We made a copy, gave him the copy. And the next day he calls me, he says, I read it on the flight home. This is the most amazing thing about Kiss I've ever read. This has to come out. And I said, well, Ken, I'm not gonna update it. If you wanna update it and do all the legwork, be my guest. And he sure did. And that's how finally Kiss Behind the Mask came out. So what was, did, you. did your manuscript have a title? Was it Behind the Mask? Yes. Okay, that's a cool little nugget to know. And, and then when, 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 when Ken got involved and updated it, did you have any further involvement with it? Were you reviewing anything he was writing or did you just like run with it do what you can can well I, well I told him to run with it one of the things I had to do was I, I retyped the manuscript because it was crumpled up paper but I wanted to correct punctuation spelling grammar and there were a few things that I could say a little more clearly that you know I hadn't as a as a you know 26 or 27 year old writer I'm now 20 years older I can Hopefully I was, I had become a better writer. And um, so I, I did that work. And the only way to do that from my, from my way of thinking was to retype the entire manuscript. But once I had done that and, and sent it to Ken, I didn't, I didn't review what he was doing. I just took it on faith that he, he like me was going to, as a KISS fan, he was going to give the KISS fans what they wanted. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ken, Ken Sharp is like the, you know, he's he's kisses like personal version of David Leaf. You yeah. know, he's the he's the guy who writes everything that's amazing about Kiss, whether it's liner notes and tour books and books, you, you name it. I mean, Ken is is very well respected in the fan world and, and known for that. Um, did were you in the loop or did Ken keep you in, uh, updated as to what he was going through to find a publisher to get the rights to this? Because, again, as as we talked about earlier, who owned this? Did Kiss own it? Did the publisher own? You know, somebody had to get clearance and lawyers to sign off and say, yeah, you can release this. Uh, Ken kept me in the loop as as he made his, I guess Doc McGee was manager by then. Yep. Yeah. So so Ken kept me in the loop throughout all the conversations he had with Doc. I think at some point he must have talked to Gene about it as well uh, in terms of how the deal would work. Um, but the deal was made. Um, and because of it was the authorized book, um, Kiss you know, it, it commanded a, a very sizable advance, uh, but because it was an authorized book, Kiss was going to get a big chunk of that advance. Were you, uh, how do I want to phrase this? So the, the finished version of the book that's out now that people can purchase, 
how much of that is your, there you go, is the original manuscript as it was? Is it like 80% of that book is, is your oh. book? Is it 50%? Is it, you know, is well, well, the, well, well, my original manuscript is 99 plus percent the same as what I had written then. It's just, it's only about a third of the book because okay. so much, so much of what is in there, Ken was, you know, so, there was so much Ken wanted to cram in there. I mean, it's really. Well, plus he had to compete. You had to compete because he, he took old tour managers and roadies. And right. so your story wasn't, don't, this is a wrong use of the word, but it wasn't pure. It wasn't, this is David Leaf and I'm just going to add some things to it. Yours, you're, like you said, you say about a third of it got. You're, you were the, you were the foundation of what Ken then started building upon getting, right. again, getting other people that worked with Kiss to contribute and add to it and then add, add more as to what's happened with Kiss since 1979. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because earlier today I was talking to Michael Frondelli who was an, uh, an assistant to Eddie Kramer at, uh, at uh, the Hit Factory back in the 70s. And I was telling him I was coming on the podcast today. He, says, he's, he started telling me Kiss stories, great Kiss stories. You guys should have him on. Ooh, um, anytime. We'll, 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 we'll get his contact info from yeah. him. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but I said, don't tell me too much, Michael, because I'll start telling them your stories as if your they're stories. mine. But, but, it, but the reason I bring it up is when I did my Brian Wilson biography in, in 77 and 78, I interviewed every person I could find who had any association with Brian from his mother to his brothers, to, you know, guys he went to high school with things like that. When I did the Bee Gees book, this was now an authorized book. So my focus was narrowed to the Bee Gees, their immediate family, Robert Stigwood and the engineers who were working with them. When I did the kiss book, I think it was just the four of them and Bill. So, so, so there was so much more story to tell that I hadn't covered. So, so Ken had Ken really had his work cut out for. Can you can you just offhand because I was fortunate enough to meet Bill a few times and sat down with him and actually had dinner with him once. Uh, what a great orator! I mean, the guy. He could spin a yarn, as they say. You have a, you have a good quip or a quick story. Me on, a memory? A, a memory of uh, interviewing Bill Coin. I'm sorry, I don't. But, you know, to me, I, you know, I was still very much a naive slash novice in the music business. I was looking up at everyone. Um, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're writing about icons, and you're talking to people who have touched the hem of the garments, so to speak, you, you, you know, and you're not, I was not an investigative journalist when I wrote the Bee Gees or the Kiss book. I was a guy who was there to tell their story. Um, so I, whatever Bill said, whatever any of them said was, was gospel. I wasn't fact checking. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, this is just, I don't know, there's so much about your story about how this was written, what happened to it, how it sat for decades, and then got brought back to life and ended up a published 
well-regarded book um, is such an amazing story. I mean, there's the, you know, you talk about, you want to tell the story of the band. This is the story of the book and the author that told the story of the band, because again, as when you were on the music biz weekly podcast, I couldn't, I couldn't get my my kiss, like craziness out on that show. But as, as when, when we were done and I messaged Jay as, as we were done there, I'm like, Jay, am I wrong? Or did David just reveal something here that we've never heard about before? And I'm like, oh my God, the backstory makes this book so Even much cool. more interesting now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I've never heard any of this before, you know, I hope it's true. <laughs> so are you so are you still in contact with um brian wilson yeah okay. absolutely all right so i've got some questions because i'm a huge beach boys fan and i was telling you before we started taping i grew up with 50s and 60s music and there's certain things that always interest me about that and this probably didn't come up but i'm going to ask anyways has he ever said anything to you about kiss not that I recall, because I'm. I, I remember. I remember Brian how much he loved Bohemian Rhapsody from 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 the from Queen. From, from okay, Queen. so so he was he his ears were open to. So he he's, a, he, he's a top forty radio guy, like like I'm a top forty radio guy. Yeah, and and so um, uh, I don't recall him. You know, I, I was just becoming friends with him when the when I when I did the Kiss book. So at some point, I must have told him. Like, where, he was like, "Where you been?" <laughs> and I said, I, "I just got. I just was out on the road with Kiss." And I don't know that he would have done. I, I don't remember him saying anything. I don't remember if he would have said anything more than just shook his head, like, "Who's Kiss?" Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I I don't know that that it would have resonated with him. Okay, and he, I, I, he res- I, he respects hit records though beyond okay. anything. That that means the most to him. Here, well, he, he he has said repeatedly, and I mentioned it in, in 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 this edition of the book. He regrets not being on Kokomo. Oh, that's interesting. Well, and I'm going to have to. I haven't read that book, so I'm going to find it and I'm going to read it. Thank you. Um, but one other question, going through all of this with him, has he ever talked about the Manson family? I never asked him about it because Dennis, Dennis talked to me about it. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What Dennis, what, what you remember of Dennis saying? Because that had well, to scare the shit out of him. Well, we were sitting at his house in Venice around three o'clock in the morning. And... You know, I mentioned earlier that I, I wasn't much of a drinker. I, I was not a drug person at all. And he's like trying to get me to snort a, a line with him, <laughs> which I guess I should have done so I could I could say now that I, I did. And I had no intention of asking him about Manson because all of my writing, which includes the Kiss book, I care about the artist and the work. That's it's like, how did you become the person who made those records? So we're talking at that point about about his recent solo album, what he does, what how what his work method is. Uh, He took I was 
in the studio with him one night and he had a bunch of us singing background vocals on a record that uh, only came out recently. And around three o'clock in the morning and it's, he says, I guess you wanna know about Charles Manson. And I didn't really, but I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna tell me something. And he starts to tell me, and then he kind of stops before he reveals anything new. Uh, but I know from what I've read elsewhere from the people around, they were all scared out of their out of their minds. Yeah, how could you not be? You know, hey, Tommy, just, give us the fifty cent version to explain to our fans what that's what you're even talking about because they're going to go, huh? Okay. So there's there's this guy in Los Angeles. There were a lot of people in Los Angeles looking for record deals, and one of them was this guy Charles Manson, who um, eventually signed a deal with some some strange company but i mean he he had been approached he had approached neil young he approached the beach boys because they had a label called brother records and dennis actually the beach boys actually recorded one of manson's songs called see it was called cease to exist which he had he had written and recorded as a, a folky demo and they turned it into a song called Never Learn Not to Love. Very eerie sounding record. Very scary record. Um, so Manson and his followers, which be became known as the family, a bunch of girls who were uh, thought he was some sort of messiah. Um, eventually, I think Manson's frustration with broken promises in the record industry particularly from a very successful record producer named Terry Melcher, led him, led him to, to a house where he thought Terry Melcher lived and the, the Manson family murdered the people who were in that house, including uh, the, the, the young actress, Sharon Tate. And where this ties in also is Dennis Wilson was driving, uh, I don't know, on Ventura Boulevard or something and picked up two of the Manson girls. And by the next day, the whole freaking family had moved into his house. So Dennis right. was kind of instrumental in hooking Charlie up with Terry Melcher to do demos. So when the whole thing fell apart, there was a lot of anger towards Dennis. Dennis from what I understand, ended up moving out of his house to get away from them. Right. And later his, on, to David's point, they ended up killing a bunch of people. His Dennis's house was right near Will Rogers State Park on Sunset Boulevard and Pacific Palisades. And he, he did indeed. It was like, I'm getting out of here. I don't want them to know where I live. That's that's how scared people were. But, you know, there's there's a very short piece about it in my book. Um, because, again, how much did that have to do with I mean, the first line of the book is this is the story of Brian Wilson. But I couldn't ignore that chapter in Beach Boys history because it was just it was spooky and scary and, and horrible. Oh, and I respect exactly what your point of view is with regards to the artist and how did you become? Because to me, that is what the story is for I was just thinking since you got to know these guys maybe you were sitting around at three in the morning and 
up comes the subject, even though it wasn't something that you pursued. Because right. to me, the reason that it's fascinating to me is not only because I grew up as a Beach Boys fan, but that was the first thing as a child I can remember that literally, literally scared the living shit out of me was that whole thing. So that's where the fascination is from my point of view. With, with well, the well, it was a scary time. I mean, it was, it was yeah. right, right after Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy Jr. had been, had been assassinated. So there was this violence in the air. Yeah. It just it was a scary time. The only thing that I remember other than that that happened with Dennis Wilson around three in the morning was right after my book came out in 1978, he called me very upset about a, an anonymous quote in the book. It's like, David, who, who told you that? It's wrong. And I said, well, Dennis, you know, as a journalist, ordinarily I wouldn't say who an anonymous quote from came from. But in this case, I'm going to make an exception because it was your mother who told me that. <laughs> and, 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 and Dennis goes, why would you listen to her? And then he realized the absurdity of what he had just said and burst into laughter. And I did, too. And then I went back to sleep. Um, the, the Wilson brothers, um, fascinating, fascinating story. Um, oh, yeah. And Brian, who, who turned 80 recently. Nobody thought he would be uh, reach 80. I mean, when I first moved to California, people were wondering whether he'd make 40. Um, he, he was really uh, a wreck and his life was, I, I write about it in the book, had taken over by this very weird psychologist. And when, when that nine year period ended and Brian was asked what it was like, he said it was like being in prison for nine years. Um, yeah, because so, he didn't. He kind of he separated Brian from everybody, friends, family, all that. No one, no one, including me, uh, was allowed to see him or talk with him without Landy's permission, and without one of Landy's people taking video of what was happening as it was happening. It, it was a dreadful, dreadful time in, in his life. There are three ironies associated with it. I guess the first one's not an irony, but if, if Landy hadn't been hired in 1982, because I remember seeing Brian in the fall of 1982 and thinking, he's not long for this world. And, and the house he was living actually wasn't too far from where Dennis lived um, with the family. But this is, uh, you know, 14 years later, it's a very small home. He was living with a, an aide from the psych, psychiatric hospital he had gotten out of who had leached onto him because that's what seems to happen with him in those days. Um, and Landy was hired by the Beach Boys to, to save Brian's life, which he did. The strange turn of events was Landy took Brian solo because that way he didn't have to deal with the Beach Boys. He could control everything, including Brian's solo career. Um, so if Landy hadn't gotten involved, he wouldn't have saved Brian's life. He, Brian would not have become a solo artist. And at Landy's insistence, Brian went out on a date with the woman who Brian brought a, bought a car from in, in West LA at Martin Cadillac, the woman who became his second wife and, and led the charge to get rid of Landy. Interesting. Because she, she saw what was going on. So the, the complication... 
more oh. complicated than, than, than Kiss's story. Kiss, Kiss, Kiss's, the, the Rise and Fall and Rise of Kiss is a pretty straightforward rock and roll story. Brian's, Brian's story is a psychodrama that really begins from the, probably the moment he's standing up and his father's either yelling, yelling at him or hitting him. Right. Um, well, and then, the, then that back and forth between him and Paul McCartney and the mutual respect both bands had for one another and how they would try to one-up each other with Sgt. Peppers and then uh, Pet Sounds. Pet and Sounds. That's, but that's just, for a 60s music fan, that type of stuff is just so intriguing and interesting to me. I, I've, I've gotten to talk with both Paul and Sir Paul and Brian about it. <laughs> and and um, in fact, when I was working on this edition of the book, um, I wrote to Paul's office and he was nice. And he wrote back, I asked him to write an introduction. He says, I'm a little too busy to write an introduction. And then he said, well, this work, and he provided this beautiful quote that opens the book. Nice. Um, and Barry Gibb, who I'd, I've been working with off and on since I met him when I did the Bee Gees book, he wrote an essay. And Jimmy Webb, who opened the original edition of the book, he wrote an introduction. And he wrote a sentence that I would never have had the nerve to write it myself. He said, uh, I, I, I love reading what, da how, what David writes about Brian almost as much as I love listening to Brian's music. And it's like, wow, did, wow. did Jimmy, yeah, what a did compliment. You, yeah, Holy no, it's smokes. an insane compliment. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with, with, with these legends. And because my focus is on the music, when I interviewed uh, Paul, he wasn't yet a knight. He, I interviewed him for a half hour. And it was very funny because we were, I was waiting for a call. He was on tour in Japan. It was, the, it was 1990. Was the first tour after after he had been busted on the 80 tour, his first tour back in Japan. And the phone rings and it's like, can you hold for Paul McCartney? Oh it's my like, God. Yes, I think I can hold. Yeah. And and um he uh I did something with him that I don't think he'd ever done before, which is I interviewed him without talking about the Beatles directly. Yeah. The interview, the interview was about Brian Wilson and his influence on the Beatles and the album Pet Sounds, because it was for the Pet Sounds liner notes. And so we spoke for a half hour about that. And and it was and it was really uh, a remarkable conversation. And, and um, the, the, the back and I mean, the funny thing is, and, and tell me, Michael, if I'm going too deep into the book. When, when, oh, not when the, at all. No, when, no. Keep going, please. When, this is fascinating. Yeah, I love the, it. When the when the Beach Boys first heard the Beatles, when Beatlemania hit, up until that moment, according to Capitol Records, the Beach Boys were the Teen Titans of America. Now here come the Beatles, and there's no way they can compete with that socio-political cultural impact that the Beatles had, but they could compete on record. And Brian called a meeting of the group and said, okay, guys, we've got to really up our game, basically. And I get around, Don't Worry Baby comes out. Don't Worry Baby may be the most beautiful ballad that Brian you know, Love that song. recorded. I get around is, 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 I think, the Beach Boys' first number one. And in 1965, when Brian heard Rubber Soul, undoubtedly the, um, the American version because what he said was, everything on that album has the same sound. I want to make an album 
where everything sounds the same. And Pet Sounds was the result. Paul told me that when they heard, when they heard Pet Sounds and Andrew Lou Oldham, the, the, the former Stones manager, was the Beach Boys publisher in England. He brought, he brought an acetate of, of Pet Sounds to a hotel room party where John and Paul were. And he played them that acetate and they were like, play it again and play it again and play it again. And right after that, the, the, Paul wrote here, there and everywhere. He said, so you could hear the direct influence of the Beach Boys harmony on them. The most staggering quote I heard from anyone in the, in the Beatles world about all of this was when I, I worked with Sir George Martin a number of times. And he told me that, Pet, that he said that Sergeant Pepper was our attempt to equal Pet Sounds. Not that we beat it, but just we're, we're trying to equal it. Wow. It's, and it's, that's just that makes your yeah, like your head can't comprehend no. that sort of statement from the Beatles about the beach. It's just like, what are they saying? Yeah. Well, you know, when when, when I, I produced with with Chip Racklin and Phil Ramone back in 2001, an all star tribute to Brian Wilson at Radio City. And I had sent a, an, an email to uh, to Sir George asking him to come to the event. And I didn't hear back, which was unusual. He was usually very prompt with his email responses. And my, my, my late wife said, did you tell him that you would pay for first class airfare and hotel? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't mention that. She said, send him another email. So I did. And, and the next, that same night around four o'clock in the morning, my fax machine starts going off. Remember fax machines, yep, everybody? Yeah. Still and use one. <laughs> I get out of, I kind of groggily get out of bed thinking, who's faxing me at four o'clock in the morning? And as it comes through, I see it's from Sir George Martin. And, and the sense that I remember to this day is wild lorries couldn't keep me from that event. And at the event, and what was really meaningful to, about, to Brian about all this is that when you're a star, People tell you, oh, I just was talking to somebody and they love you. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just kissing your ass. But he couldn't deny that there's Sir George right in front of him going, if I had to select one living genius of popular music, it would be Brian Wilson. Wow. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and for, for those of you that don't get this conversation, the reason that it's fascinating is David lived it. And growing up with this music, like he said earlier in the podcast, Gene and Paul wanted to be Paul and John. Oh, my God. Legal influence they want. is unbelievable. You can, you can run the same chain from the Beatles right into Cheap Trick. It, there's so much. So some of you may be too young and aren't fans of the Beatles because you just didn't grow up. I get all that. But you owe it to yourself to listen to Pet Sounds and listen to Sgt. Peppers if you've never heard either of them before, because they truly are musical masterpieces, in my opinion. And then well, you can even go listen to, Gene, you know, some of his solo record. You can tell he's like, God, I want to sound like the Beatles. You know, what I mean, some of his bass parts. Oh, oh my yeah. God, Gene. Again, you can hear in Kiss. See you tonight. Oh my God, the Beatles song. Are you me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And then the bass—he played around the root note. He he so wanted to be McCartney, especially on the early records. 
he wanted Paul McCartney on his solo album yes. in 1978. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's, you got to pay due to this because the, the connection is so incredibly strong. Look, this is the music geek part. This is the fun part. I love where all these worlds tie in together. I fascinate. Absolutely so, so, so Tommy, I'll just say this. Pet Sounds is Brian Wilson's emotional autobiography. It's not a happy album. The album he was working on after that. Smile. Was Smile, which came, which came out finally in 2004 as Brian Wilson Presents Smile. Yeah. That's the album. If you ask Brian, which is his favorite album, he'll say, I give Smile a 10 and Pet Sounds a 7. Wow. And, and and Smile is a much easier album to delve into than, than Pet Sounds because it's it's celestial and it's happy. Mm -hmm. Pet Sounds is 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 a guy going through a lot of emotional turmoil. And um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget I was making a documentary on, on on Smile in 2004 at at Royal Festival Hall in London. And the show would be a, an opening set intermission and then Brian and the band would go out and do Brian Wilson presents smile start to finish. Yep. And Paul McCartney comes backstage to say hi to Brian and encourage him. I'm with you. And, and Brian's Brian does something with Sir Paul that no one else does, which is he ends conversation. Any one of the other 330 million people on the planet, if Paul McCartney is talking to you, you, you'll. How long can this conversation you keep go? talking? Yeah, just whatever you want to talk about. Brian, Paul talks to Brian. Bob Ryan talks to Paul. Paul says something else. Brian kisses his hand. It's like, okay, you can go now. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's we 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 were wow. at the house. We were at the House of Blues for a, a listening party um, of one of Paul's albums, and we're talking to Paul after the after the listening party, and. The conversation's going back and forth. And finally, Brian says to Paul, he says, okay, I got to go get dinner, you know, bye. And it's like, no, no, can't we stay here and, and keep talking to Paul McCartney? You can eat anytime. But, but he, he is, he is, there's a reason why um, Bob Dylan and Questlove and everybody in between worships Brian Wilson. It's because he made music unlike anybody else. Mm -hmm. in, in his time and, and for all time. And there's a, there's a, a nature, you know, if, if you think about Brian Wilson, I used to think he, cause he always had a scowl on his face. Thought, well, it's like, he looks like Beethoven. Then, then, um, then I saw Amadeus about Mozart. And I said, oh, he's more like Amadeus because Amadeus likes to laugh and have fun. Brian, Brian, the reason, one of the reasons Brian and I were, were great friends and our great friends is I make them laugh. He once went to a Hollywood Boulevard to one of those souvenir shops, and he got me uh, two little two trophies: world's greatest comic and world's greatest writer. I mean, you know, he's just he's just that kind of a guy. But but um, he just loves to laugh, and that's what that's why the album's called Smile. Yeah, Paul, and I remember. And, hearing all about it growing up and it was in for years it was such a sought after album because it was coming out like bits and pieces would come out in the bootleg circles you know demos or this or that and and it just seemed like if, like you said it, it comes out in 2004 
And it's like, well, I, I was so crazy, Tommy, that when I was in college, I said to my roommate, I'm going to move to California, write a book about Brian Wilson, become his friend and help him finish Smile. <laughs> nice. Now that's, that's dedication. Well, it's dedication slash insanity. It's like saying I'm going to grow up to be the president of the United States. But you understand being on this podcast because that's who your listening audience is. They all want to move to California and become Paul Stanley's friend or Gene or Tommy or Eric or whomever was in the band. I get it's it. Not, it's not impossible. That's, and I, I, that's my classroom behind me at UCLA. I talk yep. to my students and these kids are so smart. They're so incredibly smart. It's like there isn't anything you can't do. If you, if you, it's, the question is how, how long you're willing to, to, to couch surf, you know, your, your dreams can come true. What are you, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice to make your dreams come true? And that's what Kiss did. You know, when, when they were on those early tours and, and eating, you know, Franks and beans, cause that's all they could afford. And, you know, and stopping by the side of the road because they didn't have a hotel room. And this was, that was their bathroom. I mean, these guys really, had to sacrifice to make their dream come true. Yep. That's why America. You, so you know, David, it's, mm. it's, it's quite interesting listening to you and, and, and thinking here's somebody who has in the case of like the beach boys and the Bee Gees and kiss has written about three bands that are, and, and whether you like any of those bands or not, doesn't matter. Their influence in music and in culture, in culture, exactly, Mark, is above and beyond the vast majority of bands that have ever put a note to tape. I mean, these were three bands that, that have, have touched hundreds of millions of people around the world. Yeah. And you could add the Rolling Stones and the Bee Gees to that too. I would think. By, by the way, before we go, David, I've, I've got to ask you this, just because I, I was always way more of a Stones guy. I, I love the Rolling Stones. Don't get me wrong. I totally appreciate the Beatles and everything, but I've got to ask you just, I've read, and, and, and maybe you can correct me, uh, Beatles wise. And Tommy, you feel feel free to chime in here. I always heard that Paul and John were a little upset that of the way the stones kind of aped, you know, with satanic majesties. And they were like, they, they were like, God, these guys are copying me. Was ever that kind of animosity from the Beach Boys camp that the Beatles did Sergeant Pepper? If you follow you know, along the, with the, it. Yeah, the, 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 the Beach Boys lived, lived like most groups in a bubble. The Beatles and the Stones were out in the world. Didn't matter where they came from, what their education was. Mick went, went to the, what, the London School of Economics as a boy yes, guy. Yes, correct. Very much. But they were enormously curious about the world and how to connect with the world with their next album. The Beach Boys didn't go through the, they didn't pay their dues. You know, the, the, the Beatles struggled for five years before Brian Epstein discovered them. The Beach Boys went from Labor Day weekend 
to having a hit record in LA within a matter of months. They weren't trying to be a group. It happened by accident. And it's and, and Murray Wilson, the, the Wilson boy's father, became their manager. And it was a family business. And some family businesses stay a family business. For example, there were these guys out in San Bernardino, California, called the McDonald Brothers. And they had a bunch of stands selling hamburgers and French fries and milkshakes. And this guy who sold milkshake machines named Ray Kroc goes, what? why is this little chain of family-run hamburger joints buying so many milk machines? So he drove out there and he saw the operation. He says, you guys want to expand. They weren't interested in expanding. They were happy with their little family business. So he bought the rights to the McDonald's name and built it into a worldwide empire. The Beatles were an empire. The Stones are an empire. Kiss is an empire. The Beach Boys, as great as their bo musical body of work is, are still a family band, still a family-run business. Now, Irving Azoff, you know, bought, bought you know, controlling interest in it this year. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how he expands because nobody in the Beach Boys world other than Brian had vision beyond that family band. Brian wanted to change the world with music and he did. Yeah. Um, but they, 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 there wasn't, they weren't looking at the Beatles as competition so much as they, they, were, they were, it was kind of an in, a family, family feud was, was keeping them from being as great as they could be. Well, and to illustrate that point also, back in the heyday in the 60s in San Francisco, during the Summer of Love, George Harrison just shows up and he's hanging out with the hippies in, you know, in the park. And I still to this day, I'm like, you're in the biggest band in the world and you're just hanging out with the kids that listen to your music. You, the Beach Boys, you probably would have never seen them do something like that. Well, even if they had, no one would have recognized them necessarily. They were, they, were the, they, were, they were a brand, the Beach Boys. I mean, the first time I saw the Beach Boys in concert, I didn't know the names of the guys on stage. Interesting. Okay. I just, they, they were the Beach Boys. I had bought a few of their singles. I went to their show. Um, they played 25 minutes or so, bunch of hits. They sounded great. And we left. Um, there was no personality to it. There was like nothing Kansas. that you could, well, I don't know. I don't want to compare him to Kansas, but I know. Well, what you no, mean. but meaning that yeah. I couldn't tell you the name of any of those people in that band, but I know the songs. Right. That's um, interesting. So, so they, that's who they were. The, the the Beatles had distinct four distinct personalities. Yeah. And and the sum of the of the parts was greater. The whole was greater than the sum of the parts. And that was Gene and Paul's. That's what they wanted. Right. And 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 they did it, mm -hmm. and that's pretty brilliant. Uh, whether again, like you were saying, whether you like the music or not, whether you like the Beach Boys or Kiss, well, I know we, I know the people watching love Kiss. Um, the Beach Boys music is as much opposite Kiss as pretty much anything could be. But Brian Wilson's ambition was as staggering and as ambition as anyone in rock history had. He just had all sorts of difficulties fulfilling it whether it was too much drugs, uh, mental, mental issues, problems within the family, within the band, um, the record company, it was a different world. And, and 
it's it's kind of miraculous. And, and the, the, the reason um, that I'm so passionate about the story is one, because of the music that was made, but two, because Brian's personal redemption and musical renaissance happened sort of on my watch. While I was while I was here and involved, he made the greatest solo albums of his career and 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 started touring, which was something no one ever expected to see. Everyone so he Brian Wilson is now an artist. When I when I wrote the book back in 77, 78, people didn't know who Brian Wilson was outside the music business. They knew nothing about him. Now today it's real easy. You can just Google it. It's like, oh, that's who that guy is. Everyone thinks he's a genius. He must be a genius. Well, Elton John thinks he's a genius. And, and yeah. George Martin thinks he's a genius. And Paul McCartney and Barry Gibb and Billy Joel and Paul Simon and Stevie Wonder. So I guess he must be a genius. It's just interesting that you that you saw them and you viewed it as the Beach Boys. Because here I'm a kid in Minneapolis sitting in front of my parents' Fisher console listening to these Beach Boy records because I have older sisters and older brother. And I would just stare at the liner notes and the photos. And I knew every name of all of the guys in the band, you know, as, as an eight-year-old. So well, it's really the, interesting. Well, well, but think of, if you think about this, the mid-60s, because I'm older than you, Tommy. Yeah. You get Meet the Beatles, you turn over the back cover, there's a picture of the Beatles and their names. Names, yeah. Beach Boy albums didn't have that. It wasn't until uh, you know one album in '65 they had their pictures on the on the back cover. They were individual photos with little essays, and one of the guys wasn't even there. So it, it, they were not selling the individuals. Part of the problem was Derek Taylor, who became the Beach Boys publicist after he left London and moved to LA, he was be a Birds publicist and the Beach Boys publicist. He's the one who started uh, the Brian Wilson as a genius trope in the British rock press. And, and the other Beach Boys weren't necessarily happy th that Brian was being singled out like that. Oh, I'm sure they weren't, especially Mike Love. Yeah. Well, Den Dennis loved Brian and supported him every single day. Carl did too. And, and, and Carl and Brian had a kind of a push-pull relationship because Carl was so responsible. Um, but it was a family band and it was a family feud. And, and that hurt. They, yeah. If they had broken up in 1970, like the Beatles, who knows what would have happened. The three Wilson brothers had gone off and made records. That would have been a whole other thing. Well, I can tell you right now, I want to move to LA and become David's best friend. Because this is <laughs> fascinating. Fascinating. David, before we wrap up here, one final question slash comment. You know, as I'm listening to you talk about the Beach Boys and the Beatles and how we talk about Kiss and the influence to the Beatles, have you ever thought about a book that's not so much telling the story, but tells the those connections that that you've been sharing about how the Beach Boys influenced the Beatles this way, the Beatles influenced them this way, the Beatles influenced Kiss this way? It's it's. It's shedding light into how these bands that us normal fans look at as individual superstars in their own worlds are really intimately connected in the way they were brought up and influenced. And 
mutual respect back and forth, because that's a lot of stuff that, you know, the average newspaper interview doesn't go that deep at all when they review, when they interview. But this is the fascinating stuff that I, as a fan, and I'm sure speaking for Tommy and, and Mark, this is the geek stuff where we're like, oh, my God. So so Paul looked to that album of the Beach Boys and wanted to be that. But the Beach Boys didn't care what the Beatles really were doing and what they thought. You know, there's there's a fascinating whole nother backstory to all of these superstar acts that somebody like you has become privileged to because you've worked with them and you've had these conversations. To me, that would be a fascinating, like a rock and roll family tree between these dozen bands. Remember those great rock and roll family trees? What was his name they used to do? Peter, Pete Frame. Spectacular. Yeah. Books. It's just Um, fascinating. So, so Michael, uh, I'll, I'll challenge you and in, in, in your podcast uh, family. Um, I have my publisher has an option of my neck for my next book based on sales of this book. So get people to buy God only knows. And there, there, there you go. I there mean, you go. again, God only knows the story of Brian Wilson, the beach boys and the California myth by David leaf. You can, you'll find it on Amazon and all the formats you want. And and correct me if I'm wrong, this is sort of an updated version of your earlier. Right. Book. It's 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 two books in one. I, I left the original book from 78 with the short 85 update intact, and I bookended it with so much material that actually there's the, the update is more than 50% of the length of the original book. So it's it's it is two books in one. It's it's over 450 pages. It's a really serious telling of Brian's story uh, up to, up to uh, date. And there's a, there's a picture uh, of, of he and I. He he and his uh, he and four of his uh, children from his second marriage took me out for my my 70th birthday. Brian turned 80. This is the 60th anniversary of the Beach Boys signing with Capitol Records. So a lot of a lot of a lot of zeros, and let's put a lot of ones in front of that for the for the, uh, for the publisher. It, so yeah, I mean, all, all too. Is it on audiobook as well? The audio we haven't recorded the audiobook yet. That's going to okay. be done next year. There's a, there's an ebook and 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 the, and the regular book. Okay. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you when you're out here, Tommy. I'm come. I'll come visit you because I've got to get out there. Uh, I just got. Um, a message from someone that wants me to, they've got putting a new band together and they want me to come out and do photos for them because I do photography as well. And so I'll be out there. I want to see John five. I will look you up. Great. Cause Michael and Jay promised me a cappuccino. So I'm there like, you go. Ah, yep. Fantastic. Yep. Yep. That would be, you know, again, too. To all of our listeners. Yeah. You know, at the core, this is a kiss podcast and we're kiss fans, but we're music geeks. And once you become a music geek, I think it's safe to say you want to start exploring the influences and 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 what created the band we love, Kiss. Yeah. Go well, read. Kiss, go, Kiss, go. Kiss, Kiss, Kiss is a fantastic made-up story. That that's the genius of it. Obviously, Gene isn't spitting blood. But if you read the Brian Wilson story, 
you're like, oh my God, there there were demons in his life. Oh yeah, real mm-hmm. real demons. Right. And 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 when you read the story, you go, oh, I got to hear this guy's music. That's that's the that's the goal of of the book is to make people want to say. So if if there's if it's the holidays are approaching, Festivus is not too far away. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, for the for the music lover in your life, I think it's a, a really great. Oh, a really. Great yeah, game. I mean, it's you know the Beach Boys from a musical history standpoint are right up there with the Beatles. And if you are somebody who loves music history, you've got to learn about Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. Yeah, I Thank agree. You. I agree. Um, David, again. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, your, 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 your backstory for, for, you know, the kiss book, fascinating, the beach boys discussion. I don't care if we're a kiss podcast. We love music here. That's just it. We love music and learning this history of music. And um, thank you for sitting down and, and, and sharing your stories and experience with us. My, my pleasure guys. Really appreciate it. Have a, have a wonderful holiday season you, you too. too and i just say how freaking cool that conversation was talking about kiss and brian wilson i mean this is one of those episodes where i'm like i never thought we would have this sort of a crossover discussion i thought we were never. gonna have a cool discussion about his kiss manuscript and kiss book which in itself was pretty freaking cool well yeah but the brian wilson added to it Oh, a tip of my hat to Tommy, Tommy, to go, I, cause I always, here's a little tie in with the show. Tommy and I went, when we were in California, we went to the Manson area, pretty close to as close as we could get. And just to have that, you know, kind of talked about here, eerie, but fascinating, um, you know, just all that talk was just phenomenal. You know, music history is just so incredibly fascinating to me because this is the sort of stuff that you can't get again in a normal magazine interview newspaper interview you can get it in you know david's book god only knows you can get it in in his kiss book you can get it in a podcast that talks for two hours but the vast majority of people will never get into this deep of and i'll throw this word out again minutiae Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, we were just talking last week on the show about memories, music memories, and taking you back to your childhood and, and all of the things we've talked about over the years. And so to me, I had no idea of his connection with some of this other stuff. So when he's like, oh, yeah, I talked to Paul McCartney, I'm just like, oh, I know. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. I'm going to ask him questions. And the Manson thing is just one of those things that's always really interested me because like i had said earlier it literally scared the shit out of me when i was a kid the first thing to really scare me you know and my sister took me to see the exorcist when i was in the fourth grade i'm like big deal let's talk about charlie you know because that's real that's a guy that actually exists on planet earth so hopefully you guys enjoyed this uh, as much as we did because i I mean, we've been blessed with so many incredible guests but this had to be probably one of my favorite shows ever yeah. Yeah. Uh, just so much riveting 
uh, stories and insight. And again, I'll go back to the KISS portion of this. I mean, just learning that whole backstory um, for the book, KISS Behind the Mask. I mean, you know, maybe I'm I'm missing something here, but I never knew any of that backstory about the book, about the manuscript being written, being shelved, never happening. You know, what would a book like that coming out in 79 have been like as a KISS fan to get something like that? I see why a coin did what he did, though. You didn't again where they were being marketed then. You didn't want some serious book on them. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were in team beaten. They wanted to be a pop band. I mean, in some crazy way, ways, and, and Alex, who should have Alex on to talk about this, although we kind of did already, but Kiss wanted to be Cheap Trick in 1980. They wanted to start going poppy. You know what I mean? They, they, they truly were on to be the cartoon band. You know what I mean? And short-lived because it didn't work. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. That's that's what happened and uh you know what i mean mm-hmm. crazy times but uh um so i guess homework for this episode get the book. um you know first of all yeah you know go out and get god only knows the story of brian wilson by david leaf i mean support him it's yeah. a fascinating history of brian wilson that goes all the way back to david's first book about the beach boys which is the book that led him to writing about Kiss, which led to Kiss Behind the Mask coming out. I mean, it's crazy how it's all intertwined. But you know, are you a are you a Beach Boys Brian Wilson fan? Did you find this fascinating? Um, you know, did you know this backstory to Kiss Behind the Mask? I didn't. I didn't either. But I tell you what, let's go back to what you just said, and we'll just stay on it briefly. But how I don't know, understand how you can, if, if you love music, that that big Brian Wilson chunk of our conversation, I was mesmerized because I'm not. I gotta admit, I I know you know, I know their hits from the Beach oh, Boys. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the same it. thing as you, uh, Mark. I was gonna say the same thing. I mean, I'm not what I would call a huge fan. Total respect for their work, yeah, and for Brian's respect. work. But I'm a fan of learning the history of what I love, music. Well, yeah. And and imagine being Dennis Wilson and you bring a song, Cease to Exist, to the Beach Boys who change it to a different song and change some of the lyrics. And Charlie got so upset that he apparently went to Dennis's house and dropped off a bullet with the maid and said, here, this is for Dennis. So if there's truth to that, tell me that wouldn't rock your world. Wow. Again, I, I, how, I don't, those are human stories there. I mean, that's scary mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. You know, especially when you see how far that crazed man took it. You know? Totally. And then to have it wrapped in where one of his songs is actually on a Beach Boys album. And the album is 2020. For those of you that are curious, you can you can look it up online and listen to it. The song's not very good, but nonetheless, it's still well. That well, let's go. Let's move to the to many years later, how Guns and Roses snuck in a Charles Manson song on uh, Spaghetti Incident, correct? Yep. 
It's a bonus yep. track or the last lost track. On it. And then Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, they recorded their second album at the Tate House. And he stole the front door off of the Tate House, which is the one that they had writ written Pig on. And he's got that in his warehouse. So there's so much tie into this in L.A. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but what, what's interesting is like Guns N' Roses and Trent Reznor, that's after Charlie became known for what he's known for oh totally the, the whole de the whole wilson beach boys that was before real time that was real time as it was happening you know they they couldn't sit here and go oh no maybe we shouldn't do this because you know he did murder an entire family that right. hadn't happened yet no well <laughs> If you're a fan of Breaking Bad or Brian Cranston, look up Brian Cranston, Charles Manson on YouTube, and he tells the story of meeting, well, not physically meeting him, but literally being at Spawn Ranch the year before the murders and seeing Charlie on a horse. He said, I'll never forget it. He was 10 or 12 years old because you could go to Spawn Ranch at that point. You could rent a horse and go horseback riding in the canyon. And he tells that story. And it's another just really creepy, eerie thing. So it's, it was when you and I went up there, that was like bizarre because we we literally got to what about the gate where they that door is there. We, we couldn't get in, couldn't go any farther. But I'm not a student of it as way Tommy is. But I mean, I know the basics and the whole time we're doing it, I'm like, I can just picture it was so dark up here. And you know what I mean? How. It would have been of ease to do what they did because I am a big true crime fan. I know. And that's why I took you because I didn't tell them. We just we rented this really cool convertible. We were just driving around uh, L.A. Holland and trying to find a with, with, with your with your shirts and off kidding. and hair blowing. Oh, of course. Are you kidding yeah. me? We were <laughs> yeah. two sexy guys on the town. <laughs> just ask the maid when she looked at our beds. <laughs> uh. The bed, yeah, so that, the, bed, the bed that hadn't even been used because <laughs> Mark sleeps I, on the top of it. I, I well, and I didn't tell him. Well, right. I didn't tell him where we were going. So I took I took him to the Griffith Observatory, which is really cool if you've never been there. You're in LA, and then we just drove around to different things, and, and we're driving up in the canyon. He's like, "Where the fuck are we going?" Because I pull up, and I pull up Cielo uh, Drive, and up to then I'm like, "That's the Tate House." And he's like, "No shit!" I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it was creepy, eerie. Yeah. yeah. Again, that was one of my favorite trips ever. That was so much. That was that couple days we were there, man. We had a fucking ball. That was fun, man. Yeah. So, so anyway, was, back, back, back to homework. I mean, what was, what did you learn in this interview? What was your favorite, you know, story that was shared? Uh, you know, talk about, talk about, david's work for the kiss book for his brian wilson book share what what you know intrigued you about this that's what we want to know i want to know all kidding aside i want to know more about the peter chris interview i know yeah, that's hopefully, that's hopefully we can uh, talk some more in a, in a future date about that but, uh, you know that and uh like i said that just everything how he tied everything in and put it this way he talked to a beetle a beetle gave him the time of day. Dude, Look, guys, and, and we, we did Gene and Paul would feel that way. Gene oh, and yeah. Paul, this guy has Paul McCartney answers to his emails right away. He, I mean, yeah. that's, this guy knows how to get hold of Paul McCartney. Yes. <laughs> that's all you got to say. Knows, knows George Martin. I mean, 
And guys, we I'm a Stones guy. I'm not even a Beatles guy, but I dig that. That's and and, and cool. we didn't even get into it in this conversation. He did a Bee Gees book. Bee Gees people. Yeah. Bee Gees. Yeah. Amazing. And they have that uh, documentary on Showtime. You got to watch it. Even if you don't like the Bee Gees, the tragedy that they went through to get to where they were and, and how they just discovered this falsetto sound in 75, which is nothing like their albums from the sixties. They roll with it. They get in the whirlwind of being a disco band and they weren't meaning to. They literally were saying at one point that everyone that walked out of Saturday night fever went right next door to the record store in New York city and bought a copy of that record. It was literally selling a million copies a week or whatever. And now all of a sudden they're the most hated band in America. As soon as the disco era crashes. Oh, no, I, I, yeah, I, I remember, I mean, as a kiss fan at that point in time, the Bee Gees were the number one enemy for kiss. Yes. In, in my mind, it's like, screw the Bee Gees. Now I'm sitting here going, man, great appreciation for the Bee Gees. But as Ooh. a kid, as a kid, I was like, why aren't Kiss getting all this love and attention? Screw the Bee Gees. They're just a freaking disco band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So lots hey, look, I, I always, always love those songs. I mean, I, yes, you know, they're great. They're phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I, songs. I, I got it because, you know, having having older siblings, my sister who her favorite act or her favorite band was queen, but I mean, she loved the Bee Gees. And, and again, tell me, I, I know. So, cause, cause so you were a big top 40 guy. Like I was in the mid seventies when we were kids and just having older siblings, I, when Jive talking came out, I remember recording that song on my little cassette player. I bought the 45. I, I'm like, this awesome. is Oh my God. That, that's again, the thing that the young people miss now today. Cause like if I take, turn on KDWB, which is the local station here in Minneapolis, that uh, is the pop station. They play Ariana Grande and um, all of those, that genre, which is great. But KDWB, when I was a kid would play smoke on the water by deep purple and then sugar, sugar by the Archies. Mm-hmm. You've got a wide variety of different types of genres and bands and that that's lost now well you know i was i was going to say for the most part it's lost but it is also you know that format dave fm you know bob fm whatever they call it where it's totally random radio we've got one here in san francisco it's like that's what it is i mean you will literally go from guns and roses to a bg song Oh, cool. See, we don't have anything like that in Minneapolis. We used to have one here. We've got a Jack 104, but they, they, they started out that way. And now it's just like the same hundred songs over and over again. And I don't want to hear, um, you know, Sweet Child of Mine ever again. And it's not that it's a bad song, but I I can't do it. I'm that way with, with Smells Like Teen Spirit. I never want to hear that song ever, ever again. Absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. So. All right. All right. um, Oh, Mike, are we doing a beginning part? Yes. Okay, because I, I wanted to do a little show and tell. Yes, we will do that. So let's let's wrap right this up. Side. We, um, you know what your homework is. Please let's discuss this. There was so much amazing yeah. stuff talked in this episode. You've got to find something to talk about. Hit us up on social media, and uh, that's it. We'll see everybody next week. Oh, we may have a last minute guest that I just got booked for next week. I'll fill you guys in off the air. Um, 
All right. We'll see everybody next week. Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515-477 for three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.